Hi, welcome to the Wilderness Medic podcast. Today, I'm really uh, excited to be joined by two experts from the Hume Animal Trust, um, and we're going to be exploring one medicine and why it's so important right now. Welcome to the Wilderness Medic podcast. Check out our website at www.thewildernessmedic.com. Expedition Resources, Wilderness Medicine blog, and much more. Joined by Dr. Ben Marshall and Professor Roberto Laragione, um, who are two respective trustees of the charity. Uh, Dr. Marshall is a respiratory physician um, who works down in uh, in Southampton, and Professor Ragione is a veterinary microbiologist at the University of Surrey. Thanks both of you for, for joining me this evening. Um, we're going to have a bit of a chat about uh, about the trust and um, I suppose the relevance of, of one medicine given what's going on in the world at the moment. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for the introduction, Dan. No, well, th- thanks for joining me. And I guess to start with, it would be interesting just to hear a bit about why the trust was set up um, and I suppose what attracted you both to getting involved with it. Okay. I suppose um, for me, I've always worked in the area of um, one health and one medicine, and, and particularly working with um, zoonotic pathogens, those that are transmitted from animals to humans. Um, but it's, it's really the emphasis to increase collaboration between the veterinary and medical professions in order to bring um, benefit to both animals and humans um, that really attracted me to the trust. And Great. As you know, uh, our colleague, Professor Noel Fitzpatrick, established the Human Animal Trust uh, just over six years ago. Um, he is a renowned ground-breaking orthopaedic neuroveterinary surgeon uh, with international acclaim. He, as a vet, experienced personally uh, the deep divide between human and animal medicine and saw how unfair it was that those of us uh, in the human medicine world had significant advantages uh, in managing our patients over those in the veterinary world looking after animals and I guess he was a bit frustrated wasn't he Rob by the lack of opportunity to to share what he was learning every day from his practice. Absolutely and I I think really wanted to see more collaboration um, because there's advances in both fields and and both animals and humans can benefit from that and I think that collaboration is what we really want to happen we want to foster through the trust yeah no that sounds um sounds very interesting so i guess one of the main um interests behind the trust is looking a bit at the kind of uh musculoskeletal aspects um in that so it's founded sort of predominantly by by orthopedics but as you say there's such a big overlap in in health and uh, i guess there's um the research doesn't necessarily flow both ways as logically as it should do, maybe. No, not always. But but I think there are good examples where um, in other areas that the trust is involved in, whether that's um, oncology, cancer, um, as you mentioned, bone and joint disease um, and brain and spinal disease, but also an area close to my own interests, um, infection um, and antimicrobial resistance. And I think there we really have seen already some great advances where human doctors and vets and other um, health professionals are working together to reduce antimicrobial resistance by understanding how those antibiotics are used in the different sectors. 
and ensuring that the right antibiotics are used at the right dose um, and prudently to avoid uh, the emergence of, of resistance. And that really requires a good understanding of what antibiotics are used by humans and in animals um, to avoid that um, potential emergence of resistance. And Dan, um, therein lies the concept of one medicine whereby uh, human and animal healthcare advance hand in hand between Rob as a vet, myself as a doctor and our colleagues in the research world, all collaborating, collaborating together to ensure that all humans and animals benefit together from sustainable and equal medical progress but not, as we all say, at the expense of an animal's life. And that is key, isn't it, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah, and I guess touching on, on the research side of things with, I guess, that in terms of not wanting to harm animals, that touches on something that a lot of people feel quite strongly about in, in terms of uh, using animals in, in, in trials and that sort of thing. Do you get involved much from, from that perspective with the trust? Well, I think one of the important things is that we, uh, as a trust, look very much at spontaneous disease uh, occurrence in animals and, and, and indeed, obviously, in humans. And I think that there's a lot to be said about um, studying spontaneous disease rather than um, undertaking experimental studies. And I think that's one area that the trust is really keen to push forward and ensure that when animals for instance, have um, cancer, that they can be monitored o over a period of time in their clinical um, treatment uh, rather than um, in, in an experiment. And then that provides a much more natural observation of the disease progression. Yeah, and it makes much more sense from an, an ethical point of view. And uh, certainly as someone who also loves animals, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult one. On the one hand, you do want to advanced science and discovery but at the same time you have that kind of compassionate side that's kind of uh, sometimes at, at loggerheads with that but I think as you say you're looking at diseases in situ rather than sort of simulating things is is, is definitely a good a good answer for that right. and is there quite a lot of crossover in terms of I suppose particularly cancer physiology with with animals and, and humans can we we can learn quite a lot I take it Absolutely. So many diseases are, are, are very similar. And, and indeed, if we if we take cancer, some of the cancers are almost undistinguishable um, un, under the microscope, whether it's in a, a dog or a human. So there are very close similarities, both from a, a, a physiology and a, a, a genetics of those tumours. And indeed, uh, even our immune responses in the human world are very similar and share many, many parallels, don't they, Rob, with uh, with various um, other animals' immune responses? To Absolutely, disease. particularly in the mammalian species. Yeah. Mm. And I guess something that you mentioned, Rob, at the beginning, that you're, one of your sort of great interests is kind of zoonosis and infectious diseases. We couldn't have really picked a more relevant topic to, to kind of think about at the moment, given what's going on, on with covid uh, yes, and, and I think COVID-19 um, has really brought to the forefront of the, the public the, the importance of uh, One Medicine and, and One Health globally um, and the relationship and the, uh, between animals, humans and the environment. Um, of course, um, COVID-19 is a, a zoonosis and uh, we know that its origins are potentially in animals, um, but 
studying that very carefully will enable us to understand how these diseases emerge, how they cross the species barriers, and how they ultimately end up causing pandemics as we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, and I guess it's not the first sort of crossover, is it? I mean, there was uh, BSC, CJD, um, and then there's, if you look back to the origins of HIV and SIV, there's a whole, it always seems to be that that kind of interface where humans and animals are, are kind of mixing, where we've maybe crossed into their environment a bit too much, where things seem to go a bit, uh, a bit awry, don't they? Absolutely. So, yeah, and I mean, there are so many examples in well over decades, hundreds of years and millennia of the trans transition of disease from the animal world to the human world. And um, with the advent of, uh, of modern technologies to understand not just the microbiology of diseases, but the genetics of diseases, we're seeing more and more of these emerging diseases year on year uh, that jump the species barrier between animals and, and humans and, and actually vice versa as well. Don't forget that. Yeah, we do. We get things like um, MRSA that can go from humans to um, animals as well, and, and vice versa. Oh, yeah, it's good. I hadn't really thought of it, but yeah, I suppose, yeah, equally it should go both, both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. And I guess that kind of fits in a bit with the whole antibiotic resistance that we, we touched on earlier, which is becoming an, in, an increasing challenge. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? I, I have, I've got a bit of an understanding in there. My understanding is a lot of it comes from sort of the farming industry and things, but I don't, I don't want to point fingers. I guess you both know a bit more about that. Yes, I, I, I think it's a, a very important area, and I, I think that often um, farming um, sector is um, fingers pointed at them. But um, from a, a perspective of the amount of antibiotics used, it's not necessarily more antibiotics are used in animals. And we've got some very good legislation that um, banned antibiotic use um, as growth promoters in 2006 in, in the EU. Uh, we've also seen um, that expanded across the globe in subsequent years. Um, there's very good um, legislation covering the use of different types of antibiotics in animals in order to preserve antibiotics that are used in, in humans, uh, therefore ensuring that we don't see uh, resistance there. There's excellent monitoring of the uh, resistance that's around, so a surveillance of what's happening. So we, we now have a very good understanding of the distribution of, of resistance and how it moves from one uh, bacterium to another bacterium. We're also understanding... Um, how our environments affect that. So um, different residues in the soil, in other substrates can affect antimicrobial resistance. So it's not just the use of antibiotics, it's the use of things like uh, biocides and disinfectants, um, the um, drainage of heavy metals in soils, all can contribute to antimicrobial resistance. So again, it's it's looking at things holistically and not thinking about just animals, humans, or the environment. It's all three um, and how they interact. Yeah, definitely. I guess it shows they, quite often there's a lack of joined up thinking, isn't there? And uh, as, as you've quite rightly highlighted, um, thinking about all of those things and looking at the bigger picture is sometimes easier said than done, I suppose. And do you, this is a contentious topic when, whenever you bring up sort of Brexit and things, but do you think um, we will still have these uh, 
these systems in place and we will we will grow and, and get better at this as we sort of yeah. depart from the EU. Nice. Well, I, I think we're we're we hopefully will rise above all of the Brexit issues and continue to uh, collaborate with our European counterparts. That's not just in the veterinary world, but in the human world as well, uh, so that regulations and guidance and guidelines and sharing of information continue uh, as they have done for, for many years and, and predating um, the European Union. Yeah, I, I partly say it just having, you know, seen some of the things that, uh, you know, the, the media have been, been saying a bit about... Um, certain farming practices in America and sort of how, how that may influence the food chain, I suppose we're looking more at um, use of hormones and that kind of thing in the food chain and, and that sort of thing, which uh, is it can be a bit tricky to, to kind of think about, isn't it? It's, it's stuff that you think, well, I don't, do I want that in the, in the food chain? How, how's that going to affect our kind of one medicine and things? Yeah, I th- I think though the the relationship that we build with our colleagues across the globe um, will continue to grow, and I I'm involved in a very large project with um 37 different partner institutes called the um it's a big One Health EJP project, and there uh, it's really going from strength to strength actually, and we're we're looking at what are the gaps and and if Brexit does affect um, how we're able to trade or or look at legislation. How do we ensure that that food safety is maintained? So actually, in, in, in some ways, it's put an extra impetus on it to, to work together, uh, which is really good. Yeah, that does sound like a re- really good thing. And what's, I suppose, what's the main, the main focus of, of sort of these larger um, sort of groups when you're looking at sort of human and animal medicine? Um, is, there, is there one sort of area of medicine that's maybe more relevant to to this approach than others, do you think? Well, I, I think all of those that we've mentioned right away through from cancer to infectious diseases and bone disease and neurology are all, all very important. Um, I think at the moment, given what's going on across the globe, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, certainly um, new and emerging threats is a, a really important one. Um, and there's a, a, a lot of research in that particular area. So infectious diseases, antimicrobial resistance, but actually predicting um, may perhaps future pandemics or, or avoiding them if we can. I, I agree, Rob. Um, I mean, I have been astounded at the pace of research and collaborations in the last 10 months that has uh, resulted from the emergence of, uh, of COVID-19. Mm. And it's really impressed me that that we have been, as a, a global response to this in various nations and organisations, we have shared the ability to um, share information, to, to expand our knowledge, both in terms of the biology and the genetics of this, this disease, but also through clinical trials, et cetera, um, sharing the, the, uh, the results of these various trials that have been done at the UK has very definitely led on that. Um, and and I, I think harnessing that sort of uh, information with the, the ability of information technology and uh, rapid 
uptake of information, publications of information is, has been just unprecedented. I don't think anything has been at quite such a pace of, of uh, the emergence of information and the uh, expansion of, uh, you know, really accurate, mm. carefully researched information that all of us in the medical veterinary world have shared. But, it, but so have the general public. You know, the media have been... Um, very good at, uh, at uh, sharing the sorts of information that has previously um, only been in the uh, the domain of, of medical professionals and veterinary professionals. Um, and, I, and I think the speed at which that information has been made available is is fantastic. Yeah. It's really a, allowed us to be proactive. And, you know, there have been um, cases whether of COVID-19, whether in humans or in animals, that's been b- reported very accurately and quickly um, and the information's been de- disseminated, so actually um, control measures could be put in place. And I, I think that's a wonderful way to see the collaboration between the veterinary and medical professions. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. The speed at which it's come out has been it's been amazing. Um, you know, I, I suppose just touching on something you, you mentioned there, I know that there have probably been a few stories in, in the newspapers about animals potentially getting COVID. I think there was a pair of tigers a few months back. Have you have you had many cases of potential COVID in, in animals that you've either seen or, or heard about? Well, in the literature, there's quite a lot. And I, I think what's been reported mostly from a, um, a livestock perspective is in mink. Um, and there have been some quite l- large outbreaks on mink farms. Um, but of course, there have been other reports in uh, in some companion animals as well, which have been reported across the, the globe. Yeah, interesting. And I suppose you you were saying that um, obviously part of the focus is, if if it's all possible, is to prevent any sort of further pandemics in the future. How are we? You mentioned some of the kind of uh, the research that's going on. What sort of things can we do to? try and do that do you think well i suppose firstly is understanding how these um, viruses or other pathogens um, evolve um, and we've we've got some really fantastic technology now where we can sequence the whole genomes of organisms very easily and that allows us to understand uh, in a timely fashion how these organisms are changing and adapting and what's the likelihood that they're going to be able to jump from one species to another We also need to understand what are the risk factors. Is it um, perhaps visiting a wet market? Is it actually close proximity to a particular species? Is it actually um, your immune status or an animal's immune status that could influence whether uh, an infection can be picked up and spread? And I think so it's, it's understanding the organisms that cause the infections or the agents but also understanding how the host, so whether that's an animal or a human, responds to those infections. And Dan yeah. picked up on um, a little earlier, I think, um, the way that uh, the human species is is changing its territory and the various ecological uh, environments that we are penetrating and finding ourselves in. And I think no, there's no greater example than, than Ebola in that, in terms of mankind moving further and further into uh, previously untapped environments and therefore coming into contact with uh, previously uh, species, animal species that uh, haven't had contact with humans before. And then you've got emergence of all sorts of potentially novel infections that cross the species divide. And it's learning from those 
from from those diseases that uh, that make the species jump. Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? I suppose you've just touched on some some of the huge factors that we have to think about, sort of move, moving forwards, I guess. And mm. um, yeah, it shows some of the challenges that that we face. But I think, like like we've been saying, sort of throughout this episode, I think the the collaboration side of things is is something that's that's really important. And and you mentioned that um, certainly, Rob, you said you've been involved with some sort of more international groups. Um, are there similar charities in in, uh, in the US or, or other countries that people listening could maybe get involved with if, if they're not based in the UK? Yeah, I, I, I think there are a number of charities out there which are, you know, are, are looking at the One Health area and One Medicine. But I, I think the Humanimal Trust is, is unique in its holistic approach to, to how it's looking at all of the different areas of disease, whether they are infectious or non-infectious, in animals and humans, and bringing that collaboration together. And, and most certainly, we welcome um, collaboration a, a across the globe and, and also involvement from um, colleagues and the public uh, from across the globe. And we have uh, our um, Human Animal Trust um, Hub, which is a, a collaboration hub, where online hub where anybody can join and, and become part of that hub as a, a professional to understand more about the research has been undertaken in the area of one medicine. Yeah, that's really excellent. Um, and I will put a link to that in um, in the description for the podcast. I guess that's one of the things that we're now getting more used to, isn't it? It doesn't really matter where you are anymore in the world in that you can uh, you can sort of become part of a virtual community and, and share ideas and information. And I guess that's maybe one of the silver linings that, that, that comes with yeah. the situation yeah. that we're in. So... That's, that's really good. Yeah. And it's allowed us also to work with other organisations such as Action Medical Research and Alliance to Save Our Antibiotics um, to really uh, disseminate the message further and, and also um, work with them on, on a number of research projects. And do you think, um, so obviously at the moment there's a, a, a good going collaboration that I think is great, you know, between um veterinary medicine and, and human medicine. I suppose the other thing that keeps cropping up is the is the more the environmental and ecological side of, of things. How do you think, I mean, do you think that moving forwards, you'd ideally like to have stakeholders from, from those kind of uh, subjects getting involved as well? I think that's important because if we look at the um, diseases like cancer and we think about um, the exposure risks uh, whether it's an animal or human, they're exposed to the same environments quite often. So involving the environment is important. And as I mentioned earlier on, it's also important in the infectious diseases where we're thinking about whether it's deforestation or we're looking at taking wildlife from the um, environment and bringing them into wet markets or other markets where in close proximity with humans. Um, that all involves um, the environment and, and how we interact with it. Yeah, I guess it's um, it's all of our discussion has just shown how much of an impact one little thing can have on so many other different areas, isn't it? It's it's really really mm. fascinating, actually. We've touched quite a lot on um, 
on Rob's main interests. Uh, ben, what's your main uh, interest within the sort of the One Medicine? Uh, you're a respiratory consultant as, as your background, aren't you? That's right, uh, Dan. I, I work in a large teaching hospital in the south of England, in Southampton. And although my main thrust is is in clinical medicine and uh, and looking after patients with respiratory diseases, I have uh, a particular interest in infectious diseases in the lung. So uh, I have come of age with uh, with COVID in the last six months, um, but also have fostered collaborations between uh, our scientists based in the Faculty of Medicine at, at Southampton in the areas of research into uh, a, an infectious disease called tuberculosis, but also in, no, in a non-communicable disease, uh, which is increasingly recognized uh, called pulmonary fibrosis. And uh, in, interestingly, we, we don't have an animal model for pulmonary fibrosis so, or a, a naturally occurring disease that we can, that we can study. So we have to use uh, our, our uh, study of humans, but also um, increasingly in cell cultures to understand the, the basic um, pathophysiological and pathogenetic mechanisms underpinning this disease. Uh, my my lifeblood has also been in teaching and training of uh, both medical students and, and trainee doctors as well um, through uh, role modeling and through uh, you know concerted effort to to continue to um, sp- spread the word and uh, enhance their ability to understand um, uh, medicine both at the very basic level but also in clinical medicine too but but increasingly now, since my involvement in the Human Animal Trust, this this concept of, of one medicine and uh, and to try and encourage the interaction between doctors and vets, which uh, which hasn't really um, happened remarkably mm. over the years, and we are all of us enthusiastic and uh, and passionate about fostering this interaction um, between the two professions because they're so closely linked, and yet um, yeah, definitely, you know, it's, yeah, it's crazy really that there haven't been. Um, enough of a, an interaction and a sharing of um, of the two disciplines and the two professions. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting you mentioned that, you know, coming from a sort of medical education perspective, because it's, um, it's not really entwined in any medical school curriculums or anything. It's, it's something that they're almost sort of the, med- the medics will go and do their thing, the vets will go and do their thing. And it's, yeah, as you say, there's such a, such a big overlap but it's 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 not maybe it's not tapped into as, as much as it should be and uh, hopefully those those things are changing it's been a real challenge i mean it's an exciting challenge and we won't stop to get the two the two um professions together hasn't it rob but uh yeah. i mean Noel is passionate about that uh, and has spoken on various platforms in uh, you know orthopedic conferences and, and i think we must continue to do that for to help our our colleagues and our peers to recognise um, how important this one medicine, one health concept is. Yeah, and I think it's really, yeah, absolutely, it's really um, important to ensure that next generation understand the importance. And um, Ben and myself both work within universities in medical and vet schools, respectively. And I think we have a, a, an opportunity there to really ensure that uh, new uh, vets and doctors coming through understand. The, the concept of one medicine and, and what it means and what how powerful it can be uh, to bring the two together. Yeah, definitely. And I guess 
at the moment as well, get, as, as we sort of touched upon earlier, getting the general public on board given the circumstances and, and sort of um, optimising what we can out of the current situation um, is it, probably a good time to sort of do that as well. Mm, great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you both for, for, for joining me on this podcast. I found it fascinating and um, I'm certainly going to spread the word about uh, about what you guys do. And um, oh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's really important, isn't it, really? And we've touched on it. It's been a bit of a whistle-stop tour through lots of different things. Um, and for anyone who has been listening, um, do uh, get in touch if you want to know more. I will put the uh, website for the Humanimal Trust in the podcast description. Um, and do get in touch with me by... Uh, message or on social media if you want to uh, to know any more about about the uh, the trust um, and that just remains for me to thank uh, my two guests uh, today it's been uh, it's been really good and um, yeah let's keep in touch thank and you it's been a pleasure thank you an interest if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast then check out our website www.thewildernessmedic.com if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode or writing a blog for us, then do get in touch and don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time, take care.